The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. And I'll tell you, Joe, you could never have done the job that we did. You don't have it in your blood. You could have never done that job. The first presidential debate gets off to a heated start with President Trump and Democratic rival Joe Biden clashing over the economy, health care, race and the handling of the COVID pandemic. Take a look at what he's actually done. He's done very little. His trade deals are the same way. He talks about these great trade deals. You know, he talks about the art of the deal. China's made perfected the art of the steel. We have a higher deficit with China now than we did before. U.S. futures turn negative during the debate after the Dow, S&P and Nasdaq break a three-day streak of higher closes, putting them on track to finish September deep in the red. Disney cuts 28,000 jobs as pandemic closures weigh heavily on its uh, U.S. theme parks, with the group blaming California's state decision to keep Disneyland shut. And China's factory activity marks a solid September with manufacturing and services expanding whilst new export orders return to growth. The UK reports its highest number of daily coronavirus cases since the pandemic began, reporting over 7,000 new infections while hospital deaths rise again. So a warm welcome to the program this morning. President Trump and Democratic challenger Joe Biden clashed over the U.S. economy and the handling of the pandemic in their first debate before the November election. The heated exchange often descended into name-calling with both candidates trading insults and accusations. The U.S. president defended his administration's response to the pandemic and once again put the blame on China. If we would have listened to you, the country would have been left wide open. Millions of people would have died, not 200,000. And one person is too much. It's China's fault. It should have never happened. They stopped it from going in, but it was China's fault. And by the way, when you talk about numbers, you don't know how many people died in China. You don't know how many people died in Russia. You don't know how many people died in India. They don't exactly give you a straight count, just so you understand. Meanwhile, Biden claimed Trump failed to protect Americans as infections spread, saying he, quote, panicked. There was no one, there's no, we didn't shut down the economy. This is his economy that's being, he shut down. The reason it's shut down is because, look, you folks at home, how many of you got up this morning and had an empty chair at the kitchen table because someone died of COVID? How many of you were in a situation where you lost your mom or dad and you couldn't even speak to them yet? Well, let's get to NBC News' Alice Barr, who, of course, Alice, you've been previewing this event for quite a while now. I'm not quite sure what happened, and I've spent two and a half hours trying to work out afterwards what did happen. I'm quite un really unsure what that was all about. It seemed one of the most extraordinary events I've ever seen. But what about you? What do you think? 
Yeah, Steve, um, you pretty much hit it on the head there. I think uh, we were all watching. This was a critical, important opportunity for these two men who are running to be president of the United States for the next four years to talk about these really substantive, important issues facing the country right now. We are at a time of crisis in America, as you just laid out. Um, we are in the middle of a global pandemic, more than 206,000 American lives lost to the coronavirus, uh, a time of racial strife in America. Um, there are plenty of topics that needed to be discussed tonight, and, and they were, but in large part, some of those substantive issues were overshadowed by just this back and forth. And, um, you know, the moderator was really doing his best to try to keep things on track. He kept pleading with both of the candidates, but particularly with President Trump, to stop interrupting uh, so that some of the, the substantive issues could play out. Um, but there was a lot of name calling. There was a lot of um, just chaos, pretty much, is what it comes down to. In fact, there's already been some discussion about whether the next two presidential debates should proceed. Um, certainly the, the moderators that will be handling those were watching closely tonight and trying to figure out what they can do to try to keep things on the rails. Uh, both campaigns certainly saying that they are committing to move ahead, but um, hopefully it'll be able to uh, be a little more orderly and get some of this, these topics out there that the American public needs to hear about in order to make uh, a decision on who should be leading the country over the next four years. Steve? Yeah, oh, that's excellent work. And as I say, thank you for your preview. It was a really good effort at trying to preview an event which was, quite frankly, the most unpredictable thing I've ever seen. So thanks for your recap as well. Um, I mean, I, I didn't get up at two, I've got to be honest. Right. Which is nine... Okay. Uh, Eastern is when yep. it started, but I did get up early enough to hear a oh. significant amount of it live. And I, from the first minute, it was quite extraordinary. Uh, I think it was a missed opportunity for President Trump here. I mean, just going by the outcome as described uh, both by the futures, which have turned a little bit lower here. So the knee-jerk response is to imagine that they've done that because the market is less favourable towards a Biden win at this point. But when you look at the electionbettingodds.com numbers, they also indicate over the four, last four hours or so that Biden has seen an improvement in the election odds. Now, the, the, the betting markets are quite good because they amalgamate all sorts of different information, not just the national polling numbers. And the fact that they're suggesting a modest improvement here perhaps means not necessarily that Biden won the debate, but that maybe Trump didn't make the most of the opportunity that was given. Do you think you're extrapolating too much from the market reaction? It's my job. Because, yeah, I know, I know. And it's, I mean, it'd be me on the other occasion. We always yeah, take yeah. opposite side on these yeah. things. But like, if you can change your market view based on what that most extraordinary hour and a half, then yeah. you are clearly looking to trade very short term rather than longer term. Well, Goldman Sachs, I mean, CNBC Pro, which is a terrific product. I don't know whether you've looked <laughs> at it, by the way. But I mean, Goldman Sachs was interesting. They said the market would only see a short lived impact even in a blue wave scenario here. So I think you're absolutely right. This is knee jerk kind of trader twitch type um, uh, reading on the debate outcome here because the reality is that there was a whole lot of noise but I'm not sure there was a whole lot of light. Should we play a few more chunks here? Both candidates continue to trade barbs over their respective proposals for reopening the economy. Let's have a listen. Provide these businesses the ability to have the money to be able to reopen with the PPE as well as with the sanitation they need. You have to provide them- Tell that them to Nancy Pelosi. To, to, well, he's just shush for a minute. 
Tell it to the, Nancy the, Pelosi and, and Schumer. By the way, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer, they have a plan. He uh, won't even meet with them. The Republicans won't meet with okay. the Senate. And he, and he sits He sits on his golf course. And, well, I mean, nah. literally, okay. think about it. You probably or, play more than it. I do, Joe. Uh, what about this question <laughs> of reopenings and the fact... Well, he wants to shut down this country. Oh. And I want to keep it open. And we you did get, a great thing by shutting it down. Shut it down. Wait a minute, Joe. Let, let me shut sir. you down for a second, Joe, just for one second. <laughs> we want to... He wants to shut down the country. We just went through it. We had to because we didn't know anything about the disease. Now we found that elderly people with heart problems and uh, diabetes and different problems are very, very vulnerable. We learned a lot. Young children aren't. Uh, even younger people aren't. We've learned a lot. But he wants to shut it down. More people will be hurt. By continuing, if you look at Pennsylvania, if you look at certain states that have been shut down, they have Democrat governors all. One of the reasons they're shut down is because they keep it shut down until after the election. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. November I want to move on to another subject. I want to move on to another subject. But those, I, I but those move, states, those states are not subject. doing well that are shut I, down. Yeah, and Chris Wallace there clearly struggling to keep order throughout the, uh, the whole session. I moderated session. criticism. I thought he did his best, actually. I mean, look, I'm not here to praise Fox, that's for sure. Yeah. But um, I thought he did a really good job of trying to control them both. Other uh, people, but it really went for him, though, overnight. Yeah, um, such a prestigious journalist, such a big job. Did yeah. he do the best that he could have done? Uh, we'll leave that one open at this point. Ed Lee joins us, director of uh, the Barclay Forum for Debate, Deliberation and Dialogue at uh, Emory University. Ed, just give us your opinion. Uh, What do you think happened and who won? This is a, and and I struggled with with thinking about that, understanding that that would be one of the questions. And I sort of think about this from the perspective of the debate coaches, that those people spent a tremendous amount of time, months of sleepless evenings, preparing each of the candidates to figure out how to make the best of this hour and a half to reposition them. And I think that on both sides, that there are debate coaches who are woefully disappointed at the performance. And I think that the ones who are probably more disappointed are Joe Biden's debate prep, uh, people, that Joe Biden spent very little time talking about COVID-19. Joe Biden did very little time with this debate, was spent connecting a pandemic that's ravaging the country to these other issues around race, around the economy. And it felt like far too often that they had the one thing that they agreed on was that the winner would be decided on whichever one could leverage the most ad hominem attacks against the other. And so it played within Donald Trump's strategy of chaos which was a strategy in 2016 in the Republican primary debates and the presidential debates. And I ultimately think that if I was forced to choose a winner, it would be Donald Trump, because I think that he got what is closely approximate to what his campaign wanted him to achieve. And Joe Biden came nowhere near what I think that that campaign wanted out of this debate. Can I ask you about what it means for the swing voters and the undecided? Because the polling suggests that effectively 17% of both Trump and Biden supporters have indicated they may change their vote, but 9% of other voters are not currently backing either candidate. So it's still up for grabs when we talk about the undecided vote out there. But what uh, many people watching the debate just got was uh, optics around intervention, argumentative type of language. What does that do for the swing or the undecided vote? Does it just turn them off rather than and engage them more. 
I think that debates in their best light serves two things in American politics. That one, they serve the ability to offer a set of contrasting options that allows for the voters to make a decision around what direction they would like for the country to go in. It also sows the seeds for a peaceful transition because an inter-party dispute can be settled through deliberation, through argument. And unfortunately, what we witnessed tonight didn't come close to achieving either of those two things. I am just not quite sure how to answer your question because I don't think if I am an undecided voter, I come away from that hour and a half feeling very comfortable about either one of those candidates being someone who has the sobering assessment and capacity that allows for us to deal with the current crisis that we're in, that the voter is undecided because they do not have an understanding of which of these two candidates will ultimately deal with the litany of crises that we're dealing with as a country. And I don't think that that hour and a half helped them make a decision at all. Ed, when we see the VP debate coming up and then another presidential debate, what is the key issue? I didn't really get a, a sense last night or this night or two and a half hours ago, actually, of what the key issue is. Now, historically, you and I might say, oh, it's the economy. But was it the key issue? Is it the key issue? I, I think it was. And I think that it is. And that that's the that's the weirdest part about this to me. And, and as I alluded to earlier, I think that from a debate prep perspective and the debate coaches perspective, I'm sure that they communicated that to both of these candidates, that if you are President Trump, your winning coalition in 2016 comprised predominantly of folks who lived in the flyover country, uh, the middle part of the United States, who felt that the manufacturing industries have left the country and that the ability for their children to live a life that was better than them was less at this at that particular moment. And that economic populism was the ticket for him that speaking to the economic needs of those particular people and the pocketbook needs, that it was about the grocery market and not the stock market that he spoke to, and none of that showed up this evening. If you're Joe Biden, I am, I am flummoxed over the fact that so little time was spent talking about $750 in taxes that our president paid based upon a New York Times article on Monday during the first year of his administration. You would be hard pressed to find anyone who is employed in the United States who is paying less than $750. And yet, he could not tie that to an overall economic message around tax fairness, tax reform, what are the ways to create a just economy, what are the ways in order to peel off some of that economic populist vote that happened. I am baffled by these two and their inability to use this moment as a way of connecting with the fundamental needs of the country and the needs of those collections of people who are undecided.
Yeah, it's and shocking, Ed, really. And Ed, let me add to that this morning, because as we look at our headlines here, um, the optics just don't look great. So China PMI stronger as their economy continues to recover from the pandemic. Meanwhile, we have uh, Disney laying off 28,000 workers and uh, shop closures in the retail sector at a record high in the United States. Uh, what do we look forward to here then in the uh, presidential debate? So are we likely to see any improvement on this. I, I looked at Nate Silver, who's always a good commentator on these, and he called it an unwatchable draw. Are we going to see the two sides go away, go back to their corners, have a talk with their bellmen and figure out how to come out with sharper points that indicate a rejuvenation of the American dream? I, I think that what that that if I can find some hope at a moment at which I, I feel close to being hopeless around where we go with the question of debates and the future, is that I think that our vice presidential debate with Kamala Harris and Mike Pence has the ability to produce a contrasting set of messages where there are actually arguments and not just contradictions being made to help the audience figure out what direction they would like to go in. But at that point in time, we're back to these two gentlemen who seem to be far more interested in sparring and sorting out their animus against each other than helping the public actually figure out who can and should lead us in dealing with a pandemic, reassuring the economy, making sure that there is health care that is reassured, that, that is shored up in our country, and that that, that that is the place where you, if you look at the data and some of the polling that immediately came out, where people identified that they were distraught, disheartened, and annoyed by this particular performance, I hope that uh, Joe Biden and President Trump see that information and they make adjustments. Unfortunately, I think that the people who would communicate that information to them are the same people who communicated a different set of strategies that neither of them seem to be interested in adhering to. Ed, so I think that we're in for the same show again. Ed, I've just realized why you're so frustrated, by the way. On a lighter note, you are the three-time recipient of the James Unger Award as well, given to the coach of the best debate team in the country. What you're saying is you could have done a better job than their coaches. That's what you're saying, Ed, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I am, I, what I'm saying yes, are. is that I hope <laughs> that I would have done a better job of getting them to listen to me. <laughs> well done, Ed. <laughs> Keep it going, mate. And uh, we'll see you again soon, hopefully. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank Ed Lee, you. Director of the Barclay Forum for Debate, Deliberation and Dialogue at the Emory University. Well, what's coming up on the show? Uh, let's tell the audience. We've got a September 4. Major US indices are on track to snap a five-month winning streak. We're going to talk some more about the direction for markets over the month and the quarter when we come back. For more on the first Fractures presidential debate, check out the Squawk Box podcast.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. You're watching Squawkbox. Well, today the U.S. Senate is expected to pass a temporary budget to fund the government through to December 11 to avoid a government shutdown. Last week, the House of Representatives approved the bill, which maintains current spending levels, giving legislators more time to agree on details of the budget. Democratic Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has expressed hope in reaching an agreement on a coronavirus relief package with the White House, this after holding talks with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin as the two sides prepare for more talks later today. Meanwhile, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow has told CNBC that the administration aims to push through some of its specific stimulus proposals. We have made concrete, specific, well-targeted and smart policy proposals to aid well-targeted sectors, such as returning to school and helping small businesses. And we want to help the airlines, and we can have more assistance for unemployment to continue. We're not ending this. We're not the ones who are stopping this. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking more about the U.S. economy later on today when they speak with Dallas Fed Reserve President Robert Kaplan in an exclusive interview at 1800 CET. Terrific, Karen. Let me just pick up and have a look at the markets here and just remind our audience what has happened over the month to date with the major U.S. indices then. And as you look across these indices, it's pretty clear that this has been a challenging month for those who've been long the market or wanted to go long the market. But I would just point to that Nasdaq performance specifically and ask the question, does that Nasdaq performance over the month of September represent a lot of unwinding related to options positioning. And if it does, how does that change the overall sentiment towards growth as we move into the final quarter of the year? And one other thing to flag up, was there a hiding place in value as a consequence of what we saw in the sell down in growth? No, there wasn't. If you look at the iShares growth ETF, we were down 5.61% for the month. If you look at the value, we were down 3.81%. So relative outperformance, but still, you lost money. I, I admire you, by the way, every single day. But, but I admire you. you today for something you're trying to do, but failing, unfortunately. Oh. But you're oh. trying anyway. Mm. <laughs> and you're trying to extrapolate. Yeah. And I appreciate, because our viewers need extrapolation. But the fact is, whether you're extrapolating the debate, I think it's very hard to do. And extrapolating the options activity and saying that that is an indictment on growth going forward. Oh. I doff my cap to you, but I wouldn't pay any attention to it whatsoever. It could be right. as much about soft bank unwinding as anything else, rather than extrapolations about mm. longer term growth as well. But I mean, I know I'm being a bit rude to you, but I just think no, it's... No, no, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Knock yourself out. Oh, no, don't be like 20 that. years together. This is what I get. <laughs>
Oh, no, you'll, you'll want Simon back if you're not careful. Um, so, 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 so the, <laughs> that got you in your coffee. Uh, so, look, um, quarter today compared with month today yeah. is actually very interesting as well. So, you didn't do that on the on the Nasdaq, but the Nasdaq was down six percent a month today. But quarter today still put on ten percent. Still put on ten percent. Oh yeah, I was got to Europe. Okay, I'll do that as well. But what? No, 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 no. That's all right. Direct is well ahead of me. So look, here's very interesting as well. Uh, whilst the U.S. indices performed very well over the quarter, mm. as you quite rightly say, and, and brilliant extrapolation, that the month to date was uh, less impressive as well. But you look at the FTSE. FTSE down one point one month to date. Well, great performance. But actually, still compared with the Dow, was eleven percent lower in the mm. quarter. So there is some vicious rotation going on. That said, Quarter to date, the DAX was up 4%. The FTSE was down 4.4 again. Uh, but in the month to date, uh, as shown on your screen, uh, I'll give you a percentage here, yeah, the, the DAX was down 0.9 of 1%. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Steve. I was just taking a look at the same thing, and you know I'm fascinated by the dispersion that takes place in the European markets, the difference between the, the FTSE and the DAX. I mean, the DAX has clearly been one of the, the outperformers so far this year versus the FTSE. And if you talk about a quarterly gain of 4% for the DAX, but a quarterly loss of 4% for the FTSE, that's a fairly wide performance gap between these two major markets. So you sort of ask the question, well, what went wrong for the FTSE? Clearly, we had some more Brexit risk that entered the equation for the UK market, but there were individual stories too. The oil story, a lot of the big energy names suffered during the quarter. As looking at uh, HSBC, we had the story that was specifically around the suspicious activity reports that captured the attention of the, the banking analysts. Uh, that stock was caught up in some geopolitics as well. But there were a couple of winners. And this is interesting as we saw the market try to step away from some of the COVID winners. But still, if you consider one of the COVID winners on the UK market, Ocado, was one of the, the very strong performers with all the at-home delivery slots that they offer up. Terrific, Karen. Thank you. Uh, delivering Alpha kicks off today at 1500 CT. CNBC will host some of the biggest names in the investment community, including Blackstone CEO Stephen Schwartzman, as well as the governor of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and Aramco chairman uh, Yasser al-Rumian. Uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is also on the speaker's list as panel discussions and interviews revolve around critical issues facing investors in today's global economy. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.